Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is a podcast from Minute Media. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that came out this week. And also, we are going to take one of your recommendations from the iTunes comments. This was sent to us a while ago from Jimmy79, and we'll get to it at the end of The Stack. It's a manga called Dead Dead Demons DDD Destruction Volume 1. Again, he suggested it in the iTunes comments. If you would like to request a review from us, whether it's something new that we've never reviewed for you before, or it is something that maybe we did review but haven't talked about for a while, or it's something you wrote or a dream Whatever you, you want. Had. Whatever you want. We would love to not, review your dream. We're not going to review a dream I you would have. Love to review a cool dream? If it's a cool dream? Like, what if they're flying or something? That would be cool. Uh, see, or, or turning invisi- invisible. Yeah, those are superpowers, man. What are you inviting into our homes? Like, what the (laughs) fuck, man? (laughs) All right, I I, I think Pete's right. Pete's right. Let's keep it to comics. Thank you. If you want to do dreams, that's fine. Don't even worry about it. Just draw a little dream doodle and we'll review it. No. Let's kick it off talking about Darkhold Omega from Marvel, written by Steve Orlando, art by C.N. Tormey. This is picking up right after Darkhold Alpha. There were a bunch of books in between, but they were basically, as it turns out here, showing us the nightmares of these various characters who got, I believe the term is goopified by Chathan, mm. gooped by Chathan. The Enemy of Scarlet Witch and Dr. Gooped Doom. by Shathan is my favorite <laughs> clothing line. <laughs> yes. So we get to see what happens here and the wrap-up of it, given that we had talked about Darkhold uh, Alpha. I thought it was worth talking about the Omega issue. What did you think about how this mini-event wrapped up? Uh, I <laughs> wow, really thought Pete was going to come out there. Um, I, I like this. Um, I especially liked sort of where we ended and a surprise reveal of a character that is now uh, been established in the Marvel universe, um, or I guess reestablished into main, the mainstream. Um, 
I I didn't read all of the the middle books that sort of fought, that felt like that was where a lot of the meat was here, and this is just sort of the back end fight coming out of that. Um, but I like a, a powered up. I like where we ended up here. I like a powered up Wanda Maximoff, an embarrassed Doctor Doom, and seeing um, spoiler for the end, Omega the Unknown as part of the Marvel Universe is cool. Yeah, I mean, I I really like uh, kind of the beats of what happened. It was. Um felt very kind of like 90s to see these kind of like heroes we know like kind of grossed out and over the top and the, the it, term is called goopified but go ahead Pete yeah yeah, yeah. And, and, and seeing like uh you know them be more hardcore than they normally are but also what was tough for me was the cover artist is Critch uh Bocciolo, and I was like oh sick this is gonna be and then when you open it up it's not that artist so that was a little tough because it took me half the comic to kind of let go of that and kind of open myself up to what this comic actually was because I was like oh man uh, if the botch was drawn this would be so much crazier but uh, n- no shade on the artist who actually did it. They did an amazing <laughs> job. Uh, it's just sometimes you kind of get excited when you see a cover, but you shouldn't. You shouldn't judge a book by its cover. You can't judge Judy a book by its cover. Yeah, yeah, we've always said that. So, uh, but yeah, I like what happened. I like how it ended. Uh, I thought it was very cool. Uh, very a lot of badass action in here. So uh, it felt very kind of like '90s and over the top, but still was pretty great. Yeah, I thought this was pretty good as well. I appreciated the fact that you really only needed to read the Alpha and Omega if you really wanted to, but fun stuff. Steve Orlando knows how to pull out continuity stuff and make it nice and smooth and easy to comprehend. And the darkened heroes were fun. Like you were saying, the stuff with Wanda and Doctor Doom was fun. Just an enjoyable mini event with a big, weird swerve in terms of adding that character to the Marvel Universe. Let's move on, though, and talk about Noctera, Blacktop Bill special oh, from Image Comics, written by Scott Snyder and Tony S. Daniel, art by Dennis Cowan. This is, as you can probably figure out from the title, focusing on the villain of Blacktop oh, Bill oh. from the main Noctera series. He's a vicious killer who is dressed all in black and has been stalking our heroes here Not exactly, because it does its own thing, but almost killing joke style, we find out the origin of Blacktop Bill, or at least a little bit of the origin of Blacktop Bill. What would you guys think about this, particularly given that we have Dennis Cowan doing the art instead of Tony S. Daniel? Well, first off, like this was... I was kind of dreading this because in the in the Noctera series, it's kind of been like, oh, Blacktop Bill, Blacktop Bill, like this kind of like... Uh, Jaws-esque villain that's been hunting them and chasing them down and everyone now and then would be like oh no the worst possible person you can think of so like I was scared for this origin story and they did a great job delivering Um, yeah I mean it's it's a really intense character super super like dark in in ways that uh you know you want your supervillain to be but also there was weird like plug for Ford trucks that I was just kind of like man this villain loves him his Ford black truck like uh that make- the, the last page reveal is a a car commercial essentially yeah, which I was I know. like, it's Pete, kind of this like is- a crazy like I have a a love of of cars so this was kind of like I appreciate this person's love of their automobile, but that it was kind of like they're the worst person ever. So 
Now I'm a little worried about myself, but uh, I think it was uh, a great kind of something that we've wanted to hear this story for a while. So I think they did a great job of building it up and then finally giving it to us. I agree with you, Pete, in that it is odd to me to sort of really dive into this villain that we've barely seen in the main series um, in this way. They've teased it enough. Like, it's not like we're like, who is this character? It's not like out of left field. Yeah, well, but that, I it does feel weird to have a this standalone issue that is only focused on that, um, to me, a little bit. Um, I was agreeing with you a moment ago. And, but this, <laughs> uh, the Dennis, the Dennis Cowan hour, I think, helps um, keep it different. And it has more, some of that sort of sketchier, uh, serial killer-y vibe to it, um, which I think helps this book a lot. And it was a good story. This guy is. Reading it, he's scarier and worse than I thought. So that was cool. Yeah, really good issue. It doesn't necessarily work if you haven't been reading the main series. I would say that it still works as a one shot very nicely. Definitely worth picking up. Next up, Electra, Black, White, and Blood, number one for Marvel. Written by Charles Soule, Leonardo Romero, and Declan Shelby. Art by Mark Bagley, Leonardo Romero, and Simone Domini. As with a lot of titles like this, this is a series of three short stories in the three colors of the title, Black, White, and Blood, of course, Blood being the third color. And it is uh, pretty violent. Pete, what do you think about this one? I love this. I also really love this uh, first story. You know, like a lot of times, you know, you... There's this thing of like uh, vampires, you know, would you want to be a vampire? Would you want to live forever? And like here we have. Yes, uh, go ahead. uh, Here we have. You're you're uh, talking about this song from the 90s, right? No, no, I'm not. Uh, um, Possum Kingdom. I don't know what you're Do you want to die? (laughs) My angel. That was about vampires. Thank you for picking up the cue (laughs) on that reference. Whew. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, that song's about vampires. I didn't know that. Anyways, um, listen to it, dude. Listen to it. it, it Wait, sorry, were you then, were you thinking about the, uh, Taylor Swift song, uh, the weekend song from 50 shades of gray, the sequel where she goes, I don't want to live forever. That one's happening. Is it, was that one? Was it the, the, just answer the, the question. Was it the possum kingdom song or the Taylor Swift song? Which one are you referencing? Pete? Alex, the human jukebox has entered the chat. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> referencing any of those. Okay. Um, oh, wow, that's crazy. I thought that it was cool to have, the, uh, you know, Electra, this person who sometimes plays the villain, uh, make this amazing hard choice to kind of be like, fuck this. I don't want to, because she sees people differently now. They're all just bloody veins to her so like this choice <laughs> to be like i'm gonna fucking end it and she's you know, a dog die. yeah i thought that was really powerful and really awesome i i think when you're gonna do these short story stuff i want to see something powerful i want to read something that's really cool and i think they did a great job of doing that and i was really impressed with this first story uh, and did you continue reading the rest of the book? Yes, yes, I did. I <laughs> I read the other you really ones. Really, going to bat for the first one? Well, I you know there's oh. a lot of great stuff in the other ones too. But I just was I thought we've seen vampire stuff so many times. I thought it was such an interesting take and such a cool stance for a lecture to take. Um, it was it was cool. You don't have to re-explain it. Charles Soule uh, wrote that one, so you must have loved that. 
Um, uh, I really liked all of these stories. I just want to highlight one line to get your take on it. In the second story, um, uh, Electra's fighting a bunch of uh, like corrupt cops. She's killed yeah. a ton of people, and she's killing people in cars. And mm-hmm. she says the line, now let's see what you do without your Catan. Do you think she means Chris Catan in this? Yeah. Or do you think maybe there was a mistake and she meant to stay Katana? Did oh, she, interesting. She I guess we read it, it two different ways. The follow-up line, and I might be misremembering this, is she says, who is Corky Romano? Mm. So I think she's referring to Chris Catan, but I'm not 100% sure. I'm telling you, this is the kind of stuff that we as experts can mm-hmm. take the deep dive on and really have the answers to, you know? I, I did really like in the second story, the the kid was such a badass, like uh, being brave enough to fucking karate kick Electra was, you know, in a moving car was pretty badass. I appreciated the fact, which we're kind of bouncing around a little bit, that these stories are out of continuity, which is something that I don't think I've seen with these collections. They sort of right. fit into existing continuity here. This is just wildly in different places. And I like that just as kind of a different thing. And speaking of a different thing, we are going to move to this week's sponsor, which is the blindsided podcast for the players tribune. Given how they play the game, you might not think that professional athletes are dealing with mental health issues, but that's exactly what the players tribune is tackling with their first ever mental health podcast blindsided hosted by former NHL goalie, Corey Hirsch and psychiatrist, Dr. Diane McIntosh. The show will share the moments for a variety of athletes when everything changed for them and mental health became the most important focus of their lives. Blindsided allows listeners to have an understanding of the different types of mental health challenges people face, whether you're a professional athlete or not. Guests this season include Kevin Love, Paul Bissonette, and Kurt Warner. Blindsided dives in deeper, it gets clinical, and it allows listeners to leave with an understanding of the different varieties of mental health challenges people face, why they appear, and how athletes in particular face them down. Blindsided is a sports podcast not only for people who follow sports, but also for those who don't. I think it's a great subject to to tackle and to talk about, and uh, I think it's definitely worth checking out. Mental health check is it out. important. Absolutely. Let's check out our next title, which is Superman, Son of Kal-El, number six from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by John Timms. This is picking up after the much ballyhooed issue where Superman kissed a boy and he liked it. <laughs> don't don't diminish the kissed a boy and Come he on, liked man. it. You're not a singer. Please stop. <laughs> I kissed a boy. Oh, Anyone can sing, Pete. Anybody can sing. Yeah, but that doesn't. You mean should watch should. the movie Sing, mm-hmm. which yeah. is about this, or Sing yeah, Two. I got, I I'm gonna to see it. Sing I was cast much. as a lovable rat. No, 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 no. <laughs> dream roll, dream roll. Yeah, dream roll. Right, Let's so, talk about Superman: Son of Kal El, number six. Please. Yes. Uh, I I think this is really fun. Um, the the whole Robin smiling bit was so like weird, but also so great. It was so I think they the artists did such a great job of like making it feel weird to see Robin uh, smile, and the fact that the characters reacted that way was such a great. Uh, also, uh, just uh, and agreed. Like, if you could fly anywhere for pizza, you're gonna go to New York. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know. I mean, yeah. that's just the best pizza in the world. So Spoken like one. a true Philadelphia resident. Hey, man, I put 21 years in New York City, motherfucker. Don't try to take that away from me. Yeah. All right? I'm just saying I, I don't I don't even remember if you were a New Yorker, where, where you lived, what your <laughs> New York. All right, man, what's your favorite uh, pizza spot? I'm going to say Defara. What's yours? 
Nice, cool. Uh, I like. Is LD. that where you go when you come in from out of town? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Nice. I saw you at a Sparrow there last time. Oh, you visited. don't you dare! That's what not you and, they, and they knew you. <laughs> yeah. The the pizza tizer at Sparrow knew you. Yeah, yeah, you're you're stalling. What's your favorite pizza spot, bro? I said L and B out. Uh, oh out. wow! Yeah, dude. Nice. Dude. I used to live by there. My first New York oh. apartment was like three blocks from there. Anyway, let's talk uh, about some other stuff. Hey, Superman, Alex? son of Cal. Just, I'm, I have to get back to the comics. I've never had pizza. I'm sorry. That's my confession. <laughs> Superman's uh, not interested. You should try it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't <laughs> like eating circles. It's very weird to me. Or triangles. triangles yeah, no triangles. Just, if you're uh, eating it as a circle, you're doing yeah, it wrong. You're doing it wrong. I don't know what you're doing. You roll, you roll up the circle and you eat it like a tube. Like a big tube. A tube, a yeah. A tube? Uh, could I have one tube of pizza, please, sir? Oh I just want a Sparrow brand tube of pizza. Maybe pizza. that's why they've never given me a pizza is because I keep going in and ordering a big old tube. Yeah, That's a I calzone. Out for sure. Let me just uh, throw out, uh, I also just want to say the Damien um, uh, Superman relationship here in this comic is so good. And the fact that it's an extension of Super Sons way back in the day yeah. and uh, that um, Superman has been aged up. Uh, he's like and while Damien has not uh, technically and all of those weird continuity things that maybe change their relationship, the fact that their relationship is still so strong and we get these just great moments here uh, was so good. Uh, yeah. I'm having a great time with this book. Great stuff. Let's move on to Inferno. Number four from Marvel written by oh, Jonathan boy. Hickman, art by Valerio Schitti and Stefano Caselli. This go. is, I believe could be wrong about this, but Jonathan Hickman's swan song with yeah. X-Men and Marvel for the moment he said that he'll probably come back at some point in the future. But as for now, this is tying up not just the Inferno event, but what he has to say about X-Men. And in here, Magneto and Xavier are going toe-to-toe with Nimrod and all the bad robots who want a gun directly for the robot mutants. Meanwhile, Mystique Wait, I, and... Quick, yes. quick question, Alex. How much did this it cost you, this Wait. comic? How much? How much did how much did it cost you to have this comic be written this way? <laughs> With Cipher, the hero of the X Men. With Cipher in the back half of this book being elevated to some like power position, yeah. and God Destiny's like, like oh, watch no. out for this guy. Cipher's here. Everything's gonna change. Look, I can't see past Cipher. Oh, hey, listen, he listen, chaos. you guys. Okay, you guys change. know. You guys know I like Cipher, but I'm saying this without bias. This was the best comic that's ever been written. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Without bias. Without bias. Truly, yeah, Alex has loved Cypher since we've been ever done this spot, since we started talking to each other. And when I was reading this comic, I was like, bull. This is bullshit. I cannot believe <laughs> that this is the way the X-Men has turned to the, the most dictionary dude in all the world is now like being elevated. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. Actually, without bias, I love this because this is something that he has set up completely I mean, in the background the entire time. Like, whatever you think about Cypher as a character, this makes total sense here. And I love the move wait, of wait. him being like... You think this makes sense? This comic makes sense to you? Uh, Pete, you hate this no matter what. You've hated this the entire time. I think if anybody has bias in this situation, it's probably you. Well, at least I don't pretend to say I don't have bias. No, I definitely, I like Cypher, but I do think what I more liked here than having Cypher front and center was the fact that they're positioning it as him saying, no, 
I like following laws. I like doing what is right. Does that lead to a situation down the road that's way worse than the situation that they're in now? Maybe, but I do like this ideological confrontation that goes on here with Cypher and Mystique and Destiny, characters that you never see up against each other in a million years with Moira yeah, McTaggart being de- depowered. All of this stuff, while you think the big conflict is happening with Magneto and Charles Xavier over with Nimrod, the real conflict is happening down here. And I thought that was all brilliantly structured. I know we've had our differences here, but (laughs) really reading this book, I was struck by the fact that, and, and maybe this is much more on me, but I don't think so. When I've been reading the Jonathan Hickman X-Men issues and this in particular, I just find that I'm concentrating so much more because I really do want to soak in every word and understand everything that's happening here as much as possible versus some other books that I enjoy, but I breeze through in a very different way. Well, I think we know with Jonathan Hickman writing this that there are big ideas at play, and he's a tactician. He's been working on this for so long, and the fact that he has built this sort of grand wheel, and this is like a big spoke of it, and even though he's stepping away, there's still more to come. Uh, so I agree. Like This is something to lean into from a reading perspective. And I actually like a lot of the moves here. The fact that um, when Magneto and Professor X face off against Nimrod, um, the humans are just straight up killed. Because it's like, you thought the conflict was mutants versus humans? That's old news. It's uh, technology versus mutants. The humans are lost <laughs> here. Um, and then elevating Cypher, I was kidding before, but it makes a lot of sense. Cypher's the, the bridge to Krakoa. Krakoa is the most powerful mutant in this book. Uh, bar none, I think the only mutant that is like a force of nature. Professor X was wrecked, almost killed in this. Same with Magneto. Krakoa is the power. Cypher's the bridge there. And so Cypher's a power player. He's also a communicator, emphasizing sort of he's their version of a Nimrod, I think, in a way. He's their technology. So I I definitely get it, and I like the choices that Hickman has made. I also love Depowering Moira, a character that for all of history of the X-Men was a human, and then elevated to a mutant that's top of this run. And then depowered, it makes so much sense and sort of will put her in a really interesting position going forward. It's a really smart out that builds on a lot of different plot points throughout the run, because you do wonder, yeah, if they kill Moira at any point, this all goes away. How do you deal with that from a Marvel Universe perspective? I will say, I will say the end of the issue made me wonder how much was holding this status quo in stasis given the fact that Jonathan Hickman is leaving. We do know that the other writers were really enjoying it and kind of wanted to sit in here for a while versus was there some sort of bigger move? Because the ultimate reveal of there are different people on the Quiet Council doesn't hit me quite as hard as 100%. it ended. 100%. I yeah. was just going to say, like, this, the it ends in a very, like, nope, it's everything you thought before except for this one tweak of Moira McTaggart. Yeah. I... Is that yeah, a Nimrod I, activating in your apartment? Alex? Oh, yeah. It's no big deal. I like to kill mutants. Go ahead, Pete. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, unfortunately, this comic was, wasn't was for me and, and it continues to not be for me. If you would have been like, oh, man, there's this really cool comic coming out where Nimrod faces off against Cypher and an island, you're going to love it. And I would be like, no, I'm not. And I was right. And then it ends with, yeah, we're just going to live on an island and... That's it. 
I mean, I mean that sounds pretty nice, Pete. It's very cold here in New York right now. You wouldn't know that because you don't live here. You live down in Philly. Yeah, it's it's also also very cold here. It doesn't seem like it is. Yeah, Uh, but (laughs) one of us is wearing a hoodie. I'm the only one that looks like I'm cold. So you wear a hoodie in the middle of the summer. That is no defense whatsoever. Uh, And you're just saying one last thing that I'll say about this that I absolutely loved is there's a thing that happens halfway through this book where. Mystique confronts Moira with this gun that we ultimately find out depower takes away her mutant powers, but points the gun at her and Moira's like, you're not going to kill me. That'll reset the timeline. And Mystique is like, oh, oh yeah. And then shoots and it cuts to a two page spread of the title, which is the death of Moira X. And it got me like just I went, oh, shit out loud. And that this Jonathan Hickman run has really done that multiple times is just so impressive. Agree. Well, That's I'm, my yeah. name, Rod, booting up. I don't know. Yeah, I'm glad you're having fun. I mean, I'm the fact that. that they like, I was like, yes, wow, you're going to do something. You killed Xavier and Magneto, and oh, two pages later, they're back. I was like, what are we doing? What? Are, this is- well, speaking of what we're doing, why don't we move on to Monkey Meat, number one from Image Comics by Junie Ba. And Pete, go ahead and talk about that. Well, this is, you know, what's great is we get to read a lot of different kinds of comics. This comic is just really kind of like this great mix of very creative, very weird, uh, like a kind of all over the place, but uh, in such a unique uh, way I I love the art. I was really impressed by the storytelling. It's uh it's something that is is just I was I just kind of blown away by the creativeness behind it. There there's a lot of different ideas kind of bouncing around here. Um, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was really cool and uh, very interesting. And um, you know. Uh, you know, we read a lot of different kind of stuff, and this just seemed very original to me. So I was very, very impressed by it. But overall, the art is really uh, the hero here. What did you love the monkey meat? Well, I, I just think that that like this idea of like, um, okay, in the future, maybe we're out of food and there's like this canned meat that uh everybody it kind of reminds me a little bit of like the the old timey kind of like uh um uh you know like commercials where it's like hey kids it's time for your favorite you know canned meat and it's like yay you know so it was just <laughs> where like did you this, grow up uh <laughs> what you is know, your favorite canned meat cocktail wieners that's a guess <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I just thought this was a, just a really creative, fun uh, package that uh, did a great job of kind of like really twisting an idea and exploring it and, uh, you know, taking it to extremes. I mean, you see God in, in this and there's a lot of different creative ideas. Where, yeah. Monkey Pete loves monkey meat. Um, I think this it's funny hearing you say that. This reminds me a lot of Ren and Stimpy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The. Uh, television program. Yeah, I was thinking from, of that commercial, like it's log, you know. Yeah, it's big, it's heavy, it's wood. Yeah, it's better it than downstairs that. It's over in pairs, rolls over your neighbor's dog. Um, this was a pretty chaotic. I liked the way it came together, sort of in the end. But I spent the first half of the issue being like, "What? What exactly is going on here?" Uh, but a fun sort of uh, wild ride. 
Next up, Worlds of Krypton, number two from DC Comics, written by Robert Van Vitti, art by Michael Avon Oming. In the second issue, we're going to the trial of Cruel, who is the... What a guy, name. Uh, what a, what name. a name. Doomed. That guy was doomed from the very beginning, to be honest. Who is on trial. Uh, we find the origin of the Phantom Zone projector in this issue. Um, uh, this continues to be great. I really think the world building here is very good. The character stuff is really good. And Michael Avon Oming's art is so, so good. I agree. This, like, I said this on the live show, but it's fleshing out, this book is fleshing out an area of uh, the sort of Superman myth that I haven't seen before done through, like, really interesting characterizations. Um, I, uh, I, I, so I really like this. And the Michael Avon Oming art is uh, very cool. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's worth picking this up for the depiction of the Phantom Zone alone. Like, the art is really cool. This is a very interesting take on something we've seen. I normally do not like Krypton stories, and I'm still having a blast with this. I think this is a really cool take on the world of Krypton, and I really think they're killing it. Next up, let's talk about one that I know Pete liked a lot, Apache Delivery Service, number one, from Mm -hmm. Dark Horse Comics, written by Matt Kent, art by Tyler Jenkins. Pete, you want to talk about this? Yeah, I uh, just pulling it up here. I just think this is a very, you know... You know, you get these a lot of stories about war and stuff like that and all sorts of messed up stuff. But the the storytelling, the pacing in this, the kind of like inside this one dude's head is very interesting. Really cool art, really kind of like a fucked up world for sure. Um, but it's an inter- interesting telling. So it's like it's really kind of dancing in between this crazy subject matter. Uh, while it's trying to tell an original story, I, I'm I'm kind of really impressed with the start of this and the kind of world we're immediately thrown into. Um, yeah, I just think they do a great job of kind of like pulling you in and and then setting uh, setting this up for a first issue. I think it does a great job. Yeah, Matt Kidd's great. He's a great storyteller. He gets uh, super specific with um, the type of stories that he's telling and the worlds he's building. Um, and this sort of feels like. Uh, it's a, it's a Vietnam story, um, but getting into some sort of magical realism maybe, but like uh, ending up with a hunt for some Nazi gold feels like a wild sort of um, novel for boys style uh, story to spin out of this sort of serious matter. And the art by Tyler Jenkins is great. Yeah. Agreed. Let's move on to talk about Black Widow number 13 from Marvel written by Kelly Thompson, art by Raphael T. Pimentel. This is jumping back in time to the good old, I don't know, 90s, 2000s, something like that. Good old 90s. Which we've talked about a lot tonight. We sure have. uh, Where she is in her Madripoor outfit, finding a guy with a sword. We get Mm. some great flashback art from Rafael Pimentel. I think it's Jordi Belair on colors as well. I wanted to shout out here. Great. So good. So, so good. Uh, this is just a great flashback adventure that is still going to have some impact on the next couple of issues as well. What do you guys think? 
Yeah, I mean, the fact that we've introduced this character, the Living Blade, um, who is at the end of the previous issue is like, watch out, this guy's scary. And then we get a full on, it feels like we, I just dusted this issue off from like uh, 1993 um, in the back of a, a comic book shop. So it, it really does that. And I love that as a way of telling this story because it feels like a fully realized backstory and not just introducing a villain with like the living blade. Why he almost killed me this one time at panel. Mm-hmm. We get an actual issue to establish it that really pays homage to something from that time. Just cool to see. I, maybe it's a nostalgic time of year uh, for all of us, but this really hit. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say 94, you know, the pastels uh, were really just really nice mm-hmm. color flash stuff. But I I agree, like just the the way that we're kind of seeing things and not being told stuff uh, was really just fantastic. Uh, it was a really cool way it ended too. not expected. I thought I, I was just really impressed by this. Uh, Kelly Thompson is really killing it. And uh, I think this is, continues to be one of the best comics. Uh, I just wanted to say it really reminded me more of Uncanny X-Men number 268 from September 1990, more than anything, is kind huh. of where I, I'd kind of put it just date-wise. Huh? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd I mean, that is there. the costume reference that you're making here. Yes, yes it uh, is. That absolutely. is uh, accurate. And I, uh, I think that's, that is what the reference is. Absolutely. It's great stuff. Next up, Dark Knights of Steel number oh, wait, three. Real quick, Alex, just make sure you delete um, the key strikes uh, sound from when you were Googling that. Just make sure you go back and that's edit what, those that's, I'm like Cypher now. Oh, <laughs> I don't think Cypher uses a laptop. This is whole yeah. thing is not using Warlock a Warlock is basically his Google. See, again, that character sounds lame. <laughs> <laughs> hey, imagine a guy who's so cool he has Google. <laughs> he has and Google like he's and, the most and he's friends with a tree <laughs> He's the most powerful mutant According to Inferno number four He can speak <laughs> Several languages He knows Google And he, he hangs out with a tree He's so cool He hangs out with Google and hugs Could you imagine he, here's, Okay here's my pitch for the character He's a character who has two friends <laughs> <laughs> His mutant power is having the capacity for two friends, a tree and a computer. Could you imagine? <laughs> Wild. Dark Knights of Steel, number three from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Yasmin Putri. Uh, this is continuing DC's 1602, back in the day, but way more violent as the daughter of Jor-El and uh, his wife. <laughs> now, I'll... <laughs> Man, I wish I had a warlock of my own. After you make that noise, that. you got to come up with the answer. You can't just make the noise and not have the answer. No, Cypher takes some time to think. <laughs> oh, okay, all right, my bad. Yeah, he has to I love to that. I love that Borat quote. His wife. <laughs> anyway, lots of violent stuff going on this issue as the war between these various kingdoms starts to heat up and Batman is about to find out some big information of his own. Uh, this is great, as usual, with the Tom Taylor book. And I think Yasmin Putri is doing a killer job on the art. Yeah, this is old timey fun. You know, I mean, I really thought the no more King's line was cold as ice. Uh, yeah, this is just... Uh, you know the you know some fun twists on uh, stories that we know very well. So pretty cool. Uh, this the comparison to sixteen oh two makes a lot of sense, but I think this book goes so much harder. Sixteen oh three. 
You think uh, innocent, more like yeah. yeah. I'd place it more in 1660. <laughs> cool. Uh, 1602 is very arch, and this book is like going hard. It's like these characters are fighting. Some of them are dying. Um, we are getting to the high drama immediately, and uh, it's this book is really fun. One Star Squadron, number two from DC Comics, written by Mark Russell, art by Steve Lieber. In this issue, our heroes for hire are getting some more bummers set the way, particularly Minuteman, who has the power to use Miraculo. Mirac- Miraculo? 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 That makes more sense. Uh, to become super strong and be able to fly for a minute, he gets some off-brand drugs and gets the shit beaten out of him at a birthday party. Yeah, uh, This is great. This is exactly what I want out of a Mark Russell, Steve Lever book, personally. I think keep this team together and have them go and do like a team book in the DC universe. Like, let's get us a new, not necessarily the Justice League style book. Um, which was a blast. Um, uh, this is fun and dark at the same time. I there's all this. There's also this underlying plot with Power Girl sort of taking over for Red Tornado, which is sort of that kind of drama where I'm like, uh, I don't. This is just fun. I don't care what it means. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminds me of the uh, you know Vision series that was real famous, where Vision was kind of like working a day job and stuff like that. Um, uh, yeah, it's very creative and cool. It's definitely Mark Russell, as usual. He's very into economic stuff. This is him taking on the gig economy, which I think is really smart. And I'll just note that Mark Russell is going to be on our live show next Weird. Tuesday at yes. 7 p.m. So definitely come hang out. I'm sure we will talk to him about that book. Next up, Captain America Iron Man number two from Marvel, written by Derek Landy, art by Angel Unzanetta. In this issue, Captain America and Iron Man are still kind of tailing along with the remnants of the 50-state initiative, trying to solve not exactly a mystery, but stop the supervillain who's dealing with the dregs of Hydra. I think we liked bits of the first issue, if I remember correctly, but we're a little iffy on some parts. How did you feel about issue number two? This book is exploring a part of the Marvel universe that I'm like, oh man, I th- really thought we moved past this. And there's a ton of like continuity <laughs> footnotes to things that I'm like, oh, right, 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 right. Um, I will say I really liked some of the exchanges between um, Captain America and Iron Man in this issue where they were like talking to each other as friends in a way that I feel like we never see. Um, so that part was cool. And I like this villain, um, as well. She's like a evil Spider-Man in the way that she sort of speaks in her tone. And she happens to have a lot of, um, Spider-Man villain technology strapped to her at the back end of this issue. Um, and I'm curious just to see this series feels like it could go anywhere. It's like a wild card. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that kind of like them talking about the 50 state initiative and they're like, Gab, you didn't like that, right? He's like, shut up. I, I thought it was cool. Uh, the back and forth is fun. Art is kind of very kind of superhero-y. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I'm <laughs> on the same page as you, Justin, in terms of I wish it was focusing a little more on the Captain America Iron Man relationship because yeah. there's – so much deep continuity here, even for somebody who's read hundreds, thousands, millions at this point of comics. There's just too much, uh, many more comics than you, Pete. Uh, There's just, (laughs) there's just too much to remember at this point to get into it. Even with the footnotes where 
And there's not an easy entry point for a lot of this stuff. We're like, there's a lot of good ideas we're throwing on the table. I think you can bring back the 50 state initiative and talk about it. That's a great thing to do, but it needs to be a little simplified. And hopefully as we're moving into a new plot line here, maybe that's where we're going. We'll have to see. Next up, speaking of deep continuity, Detective Comics number 1047 from DC Comics, written by Mariko Tamaki and Matthew Rosenberg, art by Ivan Rice and Fernando Blanco. This is picking up on the idea that the Arkham Asylum was no more. Now they have a big tower in the middle of Gotham City, which literally everybody was like, that's a worse idea. And yeah. as we find out in this issue, it's a worse idea. Uh, Pete, you want to talk about this one? Yeah, this is uh, very interesting. I like this idea of like Die Hard meets the Batman universe where we got kind of like a tower and there's hostages and, you know, maybe there's a cop who likes to eat Twinkies and, you know, maybe gets caught up in it. And then someone's like, welcome to the party, pal. No, I just think that uh, uh, <laughs> I'm excited about like seeing Gotham without Batman in it. And also the fact that we're kind of saying like, all right. Arkham Asylum is a huge, like, bad idea, but what if it was, like, more corporate? Wouldn't that be worse? And kind of exploring that. But also, one of the main reasons I want to talk about the backup story was really, really badass. I was very excited about the backup story. I think this is very cool. Uh, But, yeah, overall amazing art. Uh, Definitely worth checking out. Tell us about the backup story that you like so much. Well, it's this idea of a kid, um, you know, kind of witnessing a kind of Batman Joker, uh, you know, a, a crime in his house. And then, like, what's going to happen to the kid and, you know, that kind of thing. And it's, you know, very similar to, you know, like how Batman started. Who's this kid going to be? What's going to happen? That kind of thing. Yeah, the backup story I found horrifying. Yeah. The art was really scary and just the the whole thing, all the panels, it was really, really good, really Traumatic. scary. Yeah. Just to talk about the front story for a second, though, we were talking, I think, on the show a couple of weeks ago about In Media Res, where you start a story in the middle and then jump backwards to show how you get there. Right. That's not exactly what they do here, what Mariko Tamaki does. There's kind of a riff on it. But man, I love this riff so hard because the the story starts with the new head of this new Arkham Tower being like, clearly he has a bunch of secrets. Clearly a bunch of things are going to go wrong. As a reader, you are way ahead of everything that's going to happen here. You're like, Jesus Christ, are we going to have to read 15 issues of this guy being super shady and then everything devolving. And then halfway through the issue, it just cuts to Arkham Tower on fire, the guy dead, the asylum inmates haven't taken everything over. And then the promise that uh, with Stephanie Brown and Nightwing both trapped in the tower that we're going to have to find out how we got there. This is in media res done correctly because all of this stuff, it cuts past all the treacle. It gets to the point we know we're going to get to, but we don't know exactly how we loop up there. And personally, at least for me, it made me very excited to read the next issue and find out how we eventually get to that point because there are a lot of questions there. So overall, I was just really impressed with the structure of this issue. It's insane to me. On, just on a universe level that we didn't even get one issue of Arkham Tower being okay, but <laughs> yeah. also we knew where they were going to go, so just Why go not do there. It? You know? Well, and I think to your point about the um, in media res, like 
the fact that we're the to be continued, the cliffhanger is like the middle piece as opposed to it sinking up and going forward is cool and feels different. Yeah, super smart. Last but not least, we are going to cut to a review that was requested by Jimmy79 in the iTunes comics Dead Dead Demons DDD Destruction Volume 1 from Viz by Ineo Asano. This book is about what if there was an alien invasion and everybody kind of just had to keep living their lives, at least yeah. in Japan. Um, we follow two young girls in high school as they continue to try to live their lives while an enormous flying saucer is hanging over their city. Tens of thousands of people have died, but it hasn't really affected them too much other than one of their dads not coming home ever again, maybe being dead. Um, and there's a promise of more mysteries to come. I know we don't talk a lot about a manga on the show, but... What did you guys think about this one? I really uh, like this. This this was a the tension um uh sort of surrounding all of this all of these uh issues in this first volume was was really cool. The characters are really well done. They seem very realistically drawn. The art's beautiful. And honestly, it reminded me a lot of what we are going through in our lives currently. Um the tension of pandemic where we're like everything's normal but everything's not oh, i thought you were talking about the aliens you're talking about pandemic okay yeah they i'll get to the the aliens i'm really freaked out about but i'm oh. pretty cool trying to be cool um but the, the, the that tension really i think plays super well so reading this felt very very present yeah i was uh it kind of started off like being what the fuck is this and then the 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 writing the the panel layouts the the story the art that kind of like happens here really won me over i mean the way that uh it shows emotions just through certain panels like really really impressive um i mean some of the humor kind of didn't hit me right i mean the you know there's a little bit of a kind of weird thing uh where it's just kind of like a little bit over sexualization of these younger girls that i didn't appreciate but um, there's also a lot of like great stuff of having these characters kind of tell the story. Um, there was also some weird fat shaming in here that that I didn't appreciate. But uh, I was just very moved. I, I will say, I will say about the fat shaming. I was put off by it at first, but I think they do very quickly come around to a place where it's not that. Um, so I do think there's a smart course correction there. I understand what you're saying about the sexualization as well, particularly because they are high school girls, right. but they're I mean, drawn even one of them kind young. of points it out in the middle of it is like, I can yeah. kind of almost see your underwear, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, there was just, I was at first I was like, what is this? But then I was really moved by the story. And also it kind of reminded me a little bit of like, uh, Jaws because we, you don't. This is the second time you mentioned Jaws on this know, podcast, Pete. I know, I know. You but should I'm watch just saying, Jaws. Like, we, uh, I have, uh, but I think that, like, okay, then you know that it's not applicable in either of the situations. Hold, hold up, please let me try. Please let yeah. me try. So you're going about your kind of everyday thing, but then they would cut to the alien ship, you know, and that to me was like, like a shark fin. Din, din, din. Dendent, you know, just mm -hmm. hanging over everything that's happening, the way it was paced out in the paneling of like everyday life, everyday life, alien ship, 
Everyday life, everyday life, alien ship. So it was like this mm. tension that was building kind of like a horror movie. And then like just the little piece that you saw on the ground, like all the power kind of just taken out. And they're like, oh, there's this little like I was just really impressed by it. Um, yeah, I I wanted to be like, this is ridiculous. This little kind of like penis with a mushroom, mushroom penis guy with a mustache is ridiculous. Like this is just really weird. But the 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 story and what it was saying was just so great and powerful, it won me over. And just to mention about that, there's a framing device with a comic book that one of the characters loves that does have this penis mushroom character who's running around that shows up at the beginning and the end of the book. Uh, but it's sort of yeah. a comfort item for her more than anything. Um, I hey, agree do you with feel the, like do you feel like if there was a Jaws um, that you kept encountering in your day to day routine, you'd be able mm-hmm. to just go about your business? I don't know, man. I mean, like if you were like just hanging out and there was like a shark fin that just sort of flowed right past your <laughs> vision. The corner I mean, of your sometimes eye, there's like, a knock on my door and I'm like, who is it? And they're like, land shark. I'm like, I'm not going to fall for that. You know what I mean? Great rough, man. Great yeah, rough. Thanks. <laughs> we're old. We're very old. <laughs> I agree. This is definitely worth checking out, even if you yeah. don't regularly read manga. Really good book. Jimmy the panels 79. are just so powerful and beautiful. Really? Yeah. Well, Jimmy79, well, thank you so much for the recommendation. Uh, I just wanted to mention, as Justin said, it might be triggering for people in a certain way because it is so reminiscent to the pandemic. But if you feel like you can power through something like that, I think it's well worth the read. And folks, that is it for the stack. If you would like to support our show and the other shows, we do patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. Yeah, 90s Possum Kingdom, baby! <laughs> Do you want to die? Oh God. Human jukebox. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.